Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Combat Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McLaughlin, and I really appreciate you tuning in to listen to this first episode. And what can you actually expect from this podcast? Well, the weekly show is going to be free to everyone. So if you're listening to this now and it's in your feed, be it Spotify, Apple, if you're listening on the ACAS website, then you're going to be able to continue listening to it. And I really appreciate you taking the time out. But if you want to listen to the cooler stuff, and I really do think it will be cooler stuff, then sign up to the Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. And what you're going to get on there is something a little bit more exclusive. It's only one tier, so you don't have to worry about paying extra to get even more additional things. Everything I do on the Patreon is going to be available at the one tier. And for 2022, the biggest thing I'm going to be working on is the Guide to Pride series. So if you want to sign up to that, you'll be able to hear each episode of the Guide to Pride series. And each individual episode will look at each individual event. So the first one I'm working on is the Guide to Pride 1. So I really hope you guys will be wanting to listen to that. And there's going to be other bonus episodes as well. Thinking of maybe doing my top 10 boxes for each weight class, that kind of thing. And of course, if you are a patron, then you can hit me up on Patreon and say, look, how about doing this? And I'll listen. For the actual weekly podcast, we're looking at MMA, boxing and kickboxing. Definitely some Muay Thai as well, if I can get back into the Bangkok scene. And perhaps some grappling if I can get some of my more astute friends on to talk about that as well. But mainly boxing, kickboxing and mixed martial arts. And with that in mind, I thought maybe the best thing to do would be look at the end of year awards of 2021 first. But most people make the mistake, I find, of starting their awards too early. They don't wait until the end of the year. Well, I did wait until the end of the year because, of course, it's the annual Japan New Year's Eve Super Show Uh at the moment taken up by Rising, but in the past been taken up from K1 and Pride and I think Dream as well. So now it's Rising that I've got that honour mainly. And it was actually a decent event. I don't think it was as good as last year. I don't think it was as good as some of their other cards, but it's still worth talking about, I think, to some extent. And actually, if I hadn't stayed and waited around for this, then one of the major awards which we're looking at today might have been drastically different. So just a quick run for a Rising because I say I don't think it was that great. So the, the, the first notable thing that happened was they started the uh, Bantamweight Grand Prix. And we had uh, Kai Sakura, which was most people's favourite going into this. Uh, Kenta Takazawa, Naoki Inoue, who was my dark horse. I really wanted to see a Kai Sakura Naoki Inoue final. And Hiramasa Okihubo, who most people love because they've been watching him for years, as I have as well. 
might have known from the Ultimate Fighter, uh, which maybe he he would have deserved 100% deserved a UFC contract based on that. It was the uh, the Ultimate Fighter where the winner got to fight Mighty Mouse for the title. Tim Elliott won the final, got the fight with Mighty Mouse, and uh, the rest is history. They never gave uh, Oggy Kubo an actual chance at the UFC, and he's still been an awesome fighter ever since. Obviously, he's fought uh, Kyojo Horiguchi. And they got absolutely smashed by Kaya Sakura last year. And to be honest with you, after Oggy Kubo beat Naoki Inoue, first round was grapple heavy in favour Inoue, and then Oggy Kubo took over from there. I was kind of deflated, I thought. I don't really want to see Asakura Oggy Kubo final, a rematch, because the first fight was so decisive. And it was a slaughter, an absolute annihilation. Well, I could have been more wrong. Oggy Kubo won the Ryzen tournament, absolutely stomped Asakura on the feet. Uh, counted him overhand rides, intercepted his movements, just battered him and outgrappled him as well. It was an amazing, feel-good story to end the new year. Uh, and for a guy who's had problems in his domestic life, uh, proposing to his to his girlfriend after the show and her saying yes was just a, a great feel-good moment. But there was a real, I don't want to say feel-bad moment, but a feel-weird moment as well, which was the bizarre decision to have uh, Tenshin Nasakawa fight Takanori Gomi in a two-round boxing exhibition. Tension looked out of shape at 136 pounds. Gomi looked even worse and 30 pounds heavier than him. Every time he landed, I was concerned that Tension was going to get badly hurt. Tension, to his credit, stepped around, took the outside angle, fired off nice combinations, did his best, but it was a freak show fight that didn't need to be made. Um... I think they wanted attention on the card just so they can make the big reveal with, uh, for the super fight with Takeru. And they did. And yeah, got to be hyped for it. Um, more attention later. But for me personally, I was not too happy about that fight. Um, it was crazy in the moment watching it. But afterwards, I'm thinking, you know, look, he stopped trotting Gomi out. He needs to retire. Tension, he's clearly d- distressed and sad to be leaving Ryzen. But. They've mismanaged him really and not really used him in a, in, in a great fashion, in my opinion. From MMA fights to obviously the Floyd Mayweather debacle and, and now to this. And generally, it was it was it was strange. It was great to see uh, Tension and Takaru in, in in the ring at the end. Don't get me wrong, but all in all, I wasn't too happy with this. Uh, Mikuru Asakura won his rematch with Yutaka Saito and pretty tepid for the most for the most of it. Uh, until the third, when Bikuri sort of uh, took over. Uh, Rising Lightweight Championship, Satoshi Souza versus uh, Yusuke Yachi. Uh, wasn't too hyped about this going in, just because I didn't really think Yachi deserved the title shot. Uh, I know they're scrambling to make fights, what with the COVID regulations and whatever. But um, yeah, pretty one-sided uh, grappling fight, and uh, Satoshi Souza won. Uh, good fighter. I've still yet to see anything from him that suggests he's not just like a mid two thousands uh, grapple specialist. Um, I'm not really sure how good he is in the in the wider scheme of things, but in Ryzen it works and it's absolutely fine. And uh, yeah, yeah, I like him. So hopefully 2023. Sorry, not 2023. 2022. Sorry, this year, which has just kicked off. Uh, we can get some international opponents over him and get a better gauge. Um, 
We still beat, beat our Toffeek last year, which I thought was a great win. And again, well against my expectations. So let's see. Um, there's some other decent fights on there. I think obviously the elephant in the room was that uh, we had yet another Shibatar fight. Actually, no, let's, let's, let's wait. Yaman versus uh, Koji was amazing. Um, just a great, great kickboxing bout. Yaman got involved with the Kuzi sort of uh, back and forth, like, you know, because he's a complete antagonist. But he's not some random Japanese thug himself. I think he's just uh, graduated from university with a degree in architecture. So he talks the talk and walks the walk. And there's a great fight. Really enjoyed that. Uh, you know, Rise versus, kind of, I guess, I guess Kuzi's with Ryzen now. So it's kind of really good to see. Uh, nice kickboxing bout, which broke the card up. Really enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, we also had the uh, yet another Shibatar debacle. This time against Yutokubo, K1, bit of a K1 legend. The fight was a bit of a mess. Kubo getting dropped by Shibatar was a shame. Getting tapped, I'm not that surprised. Um, getting dropped by him was a shame. I know he's big and he takes the piss, Shibatar, and he's kind of awkward because he's kind of treats real fighting like it's pro wrestling. Um, but you would have thought, even with the size difference, that a storied K1 kickboxer would have got to him. Um, then you have uh, Kubo's wife in 4K, being caught in 4K, like in a tweet where someone said that his marriage is over. I think it was Kaposa, actually. Um, to be fair, she's a stunning-looking woman, but her singing was so bad, I wouldn't really mind divorcing her myself. So, um, yeah, what a mess. And it's fun, the Shibatai fights. I think they should have Shibatai versus Shrek next time. Let's see that. Let's let's see that. 48-year-old Neanderthal versus uh, a late 30s YouTuber. Why not? Might as well go completely fucking mental. That Shrek fight was a complete mess as well. Um, and again, I know they're scrambling uh, for this Rising card. But uh, there's probably two more fights I want to talk about on this card. Uh, Reina lost to Seawood Park in a fight which I'm not really sure how she lost the decision especially being Rising Golden Girl and their scoring criteria don't really get that it was fun to watch uh, don't get me wrong and then there was uh, Ayaka Hamasaki versus Seika Izawa don't want to talk about that yet um, we'll get to that later let's just say that so Rising 33 was definitely worth watching uh didn't really feel shortchanged. Although there's a weird quirk in the UK where if you buy it through the Apple Store, you pay directly with your phone and it's twenty one ninety nine. But if you buy through the Live Now website, it's seventeen ninety nine. They've got to sort that out. I didn't know that until after I purchased. So they've really got to look at that and and try and fix that. That's that's not acceptable in my opinion. Paying on one app, it's like four pounds cheaper. It just seems utterly bizarre that they've done that. But alas, uh, Ryzen 33, as I say, it was a good card. Not necessarily a great card. They've done better. But I do actually completely understand the, the issues they're having at the moment with getting opponents in. It, you know, The Omicron virus has completely fucked them, essentially, in terms of the fights they had planned. So um, I think uh, Johnny Case was actually supposed to fight for the title. Uh, not sure if that's a much better fight, but you know that was the original plan, I think, to fight uh, Satoshi Souza for that. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm content with the event. Was it amazing? Was it terrible? Um, there were some things on it that were notable, some things on it that I'd prefer to forget. Um, but, yeah, you know, it was all right. But had to wait to watch it, to, just to see. You never know, you might have a fight of the year contender, you might have a knockout of the year contender, and you do your awards show on, on the 30th of December, you're acting like an idiot, basically. You've got to make sure you take your time, watch all the fights, give a couple of days to, to take them in and then see if anything's changed on your end of year awards, at least for me. And for me personally, wow, big, big change. But we'll get to that later. So without further ado, let's actually get into the awards and see what they are. So the awards that we're going to do this year are as follows. We've got performance of the year. We've got moment of the year. We've got knockout of the year. We've got round of the year, we've got fight of the year, and we've got fighter of the year. Now, I actually asked on Twitter uh, if you guys had any ideas for awards that I wasn't uh, currently handing out. And I took everything into consideration, and I think I've added a couple, which is performance of the year and moment of the year. Uh, considered event of the year, uh, didn't really have quite enough sort of want to go over event I would have been just trying to remember the best I could um, probably would have been the 1FC card uh, where Superbond sparked out Petrosian to be honest with you or maybe K-Festa 4 or something like that so I guess I kind of just have done event of the year but yeah that wasn't uh, really a award I felt too strongly about but performance of the year was and there was a couple of couple of people are considered for this uh, there was uh, Petch Panarung when he got brought over from Glory to fight Kenta Haraguchi at Rise and just molly whomped him and for a guy who was getting plaudits in the pound for pound lists um, Petch Panarung just come over and just basically showed him who, who the daddy was and uh, really was impressed he's felt quite deflating actually because I really liked Haraguchi and, and, what he, and the run he was on um so, yeah, that was in contention. Superbond versus Giorgio Petrosian. Now, I've always, I have always thought Petrosian was past his prime for a while, but doesn't really take away from the fact that Superbond just annihilated him. Uh, amazing knockout, amazing performance, considering Superbond was looking for that high kick earlier on. And even with Petrosian being past his prime, this is guy is well known for being an elite defensive fighter and technical presence doesn't really get hit I mean when Andy Risty knocked him out all those years ago he kind of overloaded his defensive radar and he was big and he was awkward and he was just he just just got to him uh, this was clean bang laid him out and for me Super Bombs in contention for performance of the year and knockout of the year we'll, we'll get to that later Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier um, people might be surprised considering Oliveira got dropped earlier on in the fight but for me, performance of the year is not punch-perfect performance of the year. There are a lot of things that go into it. And Oliveira, coming back from that, and continuing to persist with his game plan, uh, intercepting knees, working his way in off the collar tie, pushing Poirier back. Even that first round where he got dropped and got caught in a firefight that he looked like he was losing, that was all part of working into what won him the fight. And the fact matter is, even when he gets dropped now, I think the problem is, think people think Charles Oliveira suddenly become durable overnight. He has not become durable overnight. 
he's become more experienced. So he gets still gets into bad situations. He doesn't have to opt out now because he knows how to then get those situations back into a positive situation. Pure was did not want to jump into his guard and follow up too often. Therefore, Charles Oliveira, by sheer fact that he's so dangerous on the ground, is able to parlay a bad situation, i.e. getting dropped, into a good one. He's able to scramble now and get to a, in, into an advantageous position where people don't want to follow up and try and smash him to bits. Uh, and as I say, on the feet, he's so much more skilled now, so much more diverse. And even that first round makes me totally in awe of that performance. Obviously, in the end, he just smashes Poiré and then eventually gets his back and, and gets a tap. So the second round, he's building on what he wanted to do. Take it again. He uses the first round to just about stay in there, but also building on a positive strategy even in the midst of something which seems like a negative in a round that he clearly lost but that was a contender for round of the year as well amazing that first round Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier and then gets the gets the fight to where he needs to in the second round and then the third round finishes it for me just an amazing performance that capped off a great year but the winner fanfare oh, I'm the editor I guess I could put in fanfare or not I probably won't to be honest with you we'll see if you're listening to this now and there's no fanfare, I could be fucked. This Alexander Usyk versus Anthony Joshua, 25th September, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Usyk comes over and, quite frankly, puts on an incredible performance that we should have come to expect from him. Um, I didn't. I actually called the end of the fight and the second half of the fight to a T. Uh, if you go back and look at my prediction on, on, the, on the fight site, when I jumped in for a guest spot, but quite frankly, I felt Usyk was going to have to box more conservatively in the first five or six rounds just because of Joshua's size. Not the case. He came in, took centre ring, took away Joshua's jab, kept landing the backhand. Um, and the reason this performance is so great as well, not just because, again, it's not punch perfect. Joshua, I'm not sure why people not understanding this is the best performance of Anthony Joshua's career. His timing with his right hand, his ability to adjust and try and whip in the body shots underneath Usyk's guard. His ability to stay in the fight when Usyk was clearly a step ahead, step ahead technically, absolutely blew my mind. Joshua maybe won two or three rounds in that fight, maybe four. And yet, those rounds that he won, for me, more impressive considering the level of opponent than him going out and blasting out, you know, any number of Molinas or even coming back against uh, Klitschko. Even when he came back into Vladimir Klitschko and it seemed all was lost, uh, obviously started off really positively, then got dropped, then he really did fall out of the fight. It's kind of like more Klitschko's kind of fight. And then Joshua to come back and rally and get rid of him. Amazing. For me, that's an old older Klitschko. Hadn't fought for a little while, maybe 18 months, two years. And in this fight, you got Usyk, probably pound for pound number one, if not number two, because Canelo's had a great year. And Usyk, is clearly on top for most of the fight. Joshua comes back into it, and then Usyk, down the stretch, batters him. Um, that last sort of 10 seconds, thrilling. One of the most fun moments of the year for me. Um, just incredible. So for me, performance of the year, Alexander Usyk versus Anthony Joshua, 25th September, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where Usyk wins a good couple of uh, bouts, two or three bouts, right? More on Usyk later, actually. 
Well, I said that was one of my moments of the year, but my actual moment of the year, the Combat Chronicles 2021 Awards moment of the year, was uh, Fedor Emelianenko versus Tim Johnson, Bellator 269, 23rd of October. Now, Fedor's been out of the cage for almost two years since that absolute shambles of a fight against an ob- obese rampage, which was just ludicrous. And Tim Johnson, for me, I actually quite rate Tim Johnson. I think he's a pretty decent, serviceable uh, you know, if he was in probably UFC, probably journeyman heavyweight type, but you know, he's been near the top of Bellator rankings recently. Good fighter. Um, I, I like him. Good guy as well, personal guy, but decent fighter. And I was worried about Fedor. He didn't really fight too many humongous heavyweights nowadays. Um, you know, we've seen him in kind of either, should we say, veterans fights or even against smaller fighters. I mean, Charles Sonnen, Rampage. Frank Mir's not smaller, but he's shot to pieces. They're not too scary. But this one, Tim Johnson, you know, it's a fighter. Yeah, he's, what, 38, 39, getting up in age. But he's a big burly bear of a guy. And left hook, right hook combo, bam, flattens Tim Tim Johnson first round. And I was elated. Moment of the year, this is a personal one for me. I mean, I've just realised now, as I touch my heart, as I record, I'm wearing a fucking Fedor t-shirt. The old one, you know, with the Russian colours on. Clinch gear one. From what, 2010, 2009, 2010, something like that. It's a complete coincidence, but I wear a Fedor t-shirt. So for me personally, I was just elated, over the moon. And yeah, man, could not could not believe it. Just so happy to see Fedor win that fight. I say he's been out of cage for two years. And I was just really, really pleased to see him pick up a fight, which actually, considering his age... As I say, I don't think Tim Johnson's a well-beater, but he's a good fighter. That probably adds to his legacy, actually. As a heavyweight, you know, when you consider, you know, Fadal did better against Tim Johnson than some other sort of younger ranked heavyweights have done, or indeed, you know, Bellator ranked heavyweights. I was happy with that. This is great to see vintage Fadal, you know, just banging someone out in the first round, just takes brings back all those memories, takes you back to the, those, those halcyon days where Fadal was the, uh, not just the best heavyweight in the world, but the best pound for pound fighter on the planet. When I say fighter, I mean, of all fighters. In that time, that was the first time really when you saw a fighter and you went, wow, this guy is the best fighter on the planet. Just like Dippin' Tyson was around in the 80s when people didn't really know about mixed martial arts or, you know. You know, the idea was, would Tyson beat a karate guy? Well, yeah, he probably would have done, you know, if it was just some random American hobbyist. But no, I never really knew about in the Western world about, you know, the, the wider world of martial arts. It was always, you know, martial arts that you knew. Your dad doing judo. Fedor in the 2000s. Don't really get much better than that. So I was just really happy. Happy not to see... Happy to see Fedor not getting battered again. But also to see him picking up a win that was... In 2021 was a good one. Um, I think he's calling for a rematch of Ryan Bader. Not sure I want to see it, but... Fuck it, if he wants it. Then then do it, I suppose. But... um, Keep him on the veterans tour. Uh, knockout of the year is the next one and there was only really a couple of contenders for me the aforementioned Superbon versus Petrosian it was great and I can see why a lot of people are picking it um, another one for me was uh, Raphael Fazee versus Brad Riddell um, which was one of those ones where you know it's a wheel kick to the jaw Riddell throws seemed to gesticulate that he was done maybe 
Herb Dean was actually in there on time for once. He seems to love it when a wheel kick lands clean. He's happy to stop a fight before someone gets murdered. That was a good one. But for me, there's only one winner. And there's a jab from Horaguchi that lands. Sergio Perez sparking Kyoji Horaguchi in the Bellator Bantamweight title fight was just unbelievable. An absolutely superb counter. Now, the reason I've gone for this one is knockout of the year is to do with aesthetics. Don't get me wrong. It's to do with how brutal a knockout looks. It's also to do with level of competition for me. You know, there's any number of insane and brutal and violent regional knockouts that our good man Kaposa shares week by week, day by day actually, on the interwebs. Um, for me, it is to do with level competition, but mainly it's to do with context. Sergio Perez was getting dominated in that fight and made excellent adjustment to be more proactive with his jab and force Horiguchi into mistakes. And that's basically what happened. It People seem to act that... Um, and actually, I want to take it back a step. I was about to say, people seem to act that Pettis got lucky. No, he didn't, got, didn't get lucky. I'd probably still pick Horiguchi to win a rematch, though. Because he's now able to make an adjustment. But Pettis made that adjustment. He's a guy who's pretty notoriously um, safety-first Pettis. Or maybe not safety-first is not the right idea. But he's a natural counter-puncher. He waits for the fight to come to him. Counter-strikes. Spins out, resets, continue. Um, very much apparent in his Bellator Bantamweight title fight against Juan Archuleta, where, you know, sporadic offence was, was, was what Pettis was doing. And it, and it was a case of getting his reads, getting his timing down, pot shot in, winning the fight. And they forced him. They said, look, you, you've got to be more proactive. And he did. He was more, more proactive against Horiguchi. He was getting dominated in every facet of, this, of the game. Striking and grappling. And started pressing the front foot. Went for that uh, missed kick, uh, back fist, into back fist, and, and it didn't come off. Did it again. And basically just overloaded Horiguchi's defensive radar. Clipped him with that back fist. Sparked him out. No follow-up shots needed. Just unbelievable. Because, again, it's context. Horiguchi, for me, probably one of the best, 10 best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. If not 10, then top 15. Could probably still make flyweight. Winning titles in, in Rising and Bellator. Getting injured, coming back, beating Kaya Sakura. You know, avenging that, very much showing that he's still one of the best in the world. In his own gym, he's a stud. He's the main man. Look around him, look at the quality fighters there are in there. He is the main man. Sergio Pettis, so long living in the shadow of his older brother. He's, you know, one of the greatest lightweights of all time, in my opinion. Picking up some good wins in the UFC, of course. Maybe it's not so, some not-so-good performances. Cut unfairly, in my opinion. Goes to Bellator. Strength to strength. Wins the title. The Horiguchi had to vacate due to injury. 
you know, Horiguchi's the man. First three rounds very much appears so. But a fight, a title fight is 25 minutes. And Pet is built, built tactically throughout the fight. And when he turned it on, he won the fight. There's no luck about it. It's it's unfair, it's sad that Horiguchi wasn't able to maintain his level of excellence throughout the whole fight and win the fight. Would have been an incredible win. Um, he'll have a chance to rectify it in the, in the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix this year, which is stacked and I can't wait for. One of the things I'm most looking forward to in MMA next year. I keep saying next year, it's fucking this year, it's 2022. Um, but yeah, for me, context everything. I actually spoke to um, Baba, kickboxing extraordinaire, one of my top guys, and said, look, what do you think the knockout of the year is? And he said, Superbon and, and, and Petro, obviously. And I said, look, I think it's Pettis and Horiguchi, and this is why. And even he had to say, look, I get it. That's a great one. It was a great one. For me, knockout of the year. Just a great fight. Brilliant fight. But it was not round of the year. For me, the round of the year is, is pretty clear. And it's a fight that was a uh, pretty tepid kickboxing bout for the first couple of rounds. And then uh, and then this happened. Oh, good job. They start. UFC 266, September 25th, round three of the 145-pound title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. What can I say about this round that hasn't already been said? Um, first and foremost, amazing adjustment from Ortega to um, to punch off the Volkanovsky's kick, to drop him, latch onto that guillotine straight away. How Volkanovsky survived, I still don't actually know. Um, however, it's to do with him having a short neck or something, but... Um, Unbelievable. And then Volk falls into a triangle. Uh, unbelievable, again. I mean, at that point, I started to worry about his fight IQ. Turns out that Volkanovski has just got huge faith in himself and, and ability to get out of bad situations, even against a pretty renowned submission guy in, in, in Ortega. And then the, the round ends with one of the most brutal ground-and-pound beatings you'll ever see. And in my opinion, it should have been the end of the fight. And I know a lot of people already said that, but for me, that Ortega had to be helped onto his stall. He was unconscious, essentially. He definitely couldn't get up on his own uh, accord. And, and that fight should have been stopped. And an amazing turnaround. Basically, got a whole fight in one round. Feeling, feeling each other out. Submission attempts. And then the, in my opinion, near knockout, if not actual knockout. Volkanovski is an actual titan of the sport, one of the greatest mixed martial artists I've ever seen, technically, skill-wise. And Ortega is tough enough to, to be the second half of some of the worst beatings I've ever seen. Not sure where he goes from here, but he didn't go anywhere. He was part of one of the greatest rounds of all time, in my opinion, and the definite round of the year for 2021 across all of combat sports. Although there were contenders for some of the best fights of the year, which we're going to look at right after this. Welcome to Combat Chronicles, a podcast looking at the world of combat sports, including boxing, kickboxing and mixed martial arts. 
I'm your host Carl McLaughlin and bring you previews, reviews and a look through the rich history of prize fighting. The podcast is free, but for exclusive podcasts and other cool combat sports related uploads, head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. Thank you for listening. Thank you indeed for listening. Um, got to do another Patreon sting, and I? It's quite expensive, this podcast, and like, I think people assume you just sort of make a free account, and that's it. It's not, you know, got to keep the lights on. Also, I want to buy a scanner so I can scan these amazing uh, Pride programs, on-site programs that I've got. So of each new Pride episode, if I've got the program, I'd scan it, and upload it to Patreon as a sort of a photo file photo gallery so you guys can all have a look at it uh, and other such cool stuff i want to buy cool stuff so i can you know make the podcast better i had to buy the microphone bought a load of uh, old newspapers mma magazines let's say pride memorabilia woe is me eh but uh it's to make this cooler make this podcast more fun make it more immersive provide more information do things that other people aren't really doing so any support you can offer would be greatly, greatly appreciated. But what I really appreciate are great fights. And that's why this year it was quite tough to come up with my fight of the year. So I've got a top three, but I want to shout out some other things first. Some other great fights. It wouldn't feel right if I just didn't mention them. But first, the elephant in the room. No, Piotr Jan versus Corey Sanhagen is not in my top three. It might not be in my top three. Yeah, is it in my top three MMA bouts? Yeah, maybe. It's not in my top three fights of the year across all combat sports. For those of you that don't follow me on Twitter, and even for those of you, those of you that do, I thought I'd better explain myself, because I know a lot of people are saying this is one of the greatest bouts of all time. And from a technical standpoint, I agree, it's one of the great two-way technicals I've seen. Or is it? For me, a great two-way technical, and it's a phrase that I came up with a long time ago to uh, sort of describe certain fights. Sambu Kalambai versus Mike McCallum 2, for instance. This is uh, Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway 2. It's another one. Two-way technicals are when both people, both fighters are extremely technical, but imposing their will on each other in a way that makes the other one constantly adjust and it has to provide some sort of fireworks. And for me personally, although Sanhagen tried desperately to throw everything he had at Piotr Jan and was successful to some, some extent, uh, uh, did I give him more than a round? Was it any more than Piotr Jan being extremely dominant for much of the fight and displaying his full arsenal, which was superior to Sanhagen's? There's some amazing moments, but nothing too dramatic. For me, great fights are not just... Uh, I don't really want to get at the hipsters, so to speak. I'm a hipster myself, but, you know, I think we're a bit too much of a hipster. Hey, guys, look how much I appreciated this amazing fight. Yeah, I get it. It was great to watch. It wasn't a great fight, in my opinion. I'm not saying everyone that loved this fight, by the way, is a hipster. Well, they probably are. They probably would say they are, but I'm not saying that everyone who thinks this is the best fight ever is a hipster. But I do think there's sometimes a bit of a reach to show yourself as a great fight appreciator. I certainly appreciate the skills. If you ask me what the... Uh, the most breathtaking performance of the year was, from a technical standpoint, Buddhist Pure Yan versus Corey Sanhagen. They both showed a lot, but for me, Yan was better. Um, he probably should have been an honourable mention for, for performance of the year, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. 
it being my top five MMA fights of the year, 100%, but best fight ever, best fight of the year, not really seeing it. And there's another one in boxing. Stephen Fulton versus Brandon Figueroa. It was great. You know, a lot of action, huge output from both. But just lacked that spark. It was just great output. Consistent output doesn't equal a great fight, in my opinion. It was a good fight, really good fight. Would it be in my top five boxing matches of the year? Absolutely, 100%. Um, is it in my top three fights of the year across all combat sports? No, it's not. It just isn't. And nor is the rematch between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Gonzalez. I love the first fight, actually. I think I might even prefer the first fight. I love this fight, too. It's a great narrative. They're finally rematching. Two weights above where they did. Uh, the first fight was a light flyweight, 108 pounds. This one was a super flyweight, 115 pounds. Gonzalez, for me, years ago, I wrote him off, and I hold my hands up. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I wrote Gonzalez off. What, what the fuck was I thinking? But after the Quadras fight, I saw a guy. I thought that's a guy who's lost his first step. Then the, in the Trisket saw Rungvisai first fight, which some people still feel to this day was wrongly judged to be a, a, a win for the tie. I saw an amazing performance from Gonzalez. I saw a last stand. I saw a fighter who was on his way out. Completely proven by the fact Sorangvazai destroyed him in the rematch. I thought, that's it. That's a full career that guy's had and he's just been wiped out. Three tough fights in a row. You don't come back from that. This doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in combat sports. They give him a few gimmies. Beats Yafai as well, which people thought, you know, he's back. And I thought, no, he's not back. Yafai isn't very good. He's overrated. Typical Brit that's overrated. Didn't really think much of it. Happy for him. Happy for Gonzalez. Big fan. I've been since uh, he beat uh, uh, Nida back in the day for the strawweight title. When I saw a tiny little sort of one paragraph thing of boxing news and thought, I need to get on YouTube and see if this guy's on there. YouTube's still relatively in his infancy at that point and... I think it was in like three parts, the Nida Gonzalez fight, you know, when you had a restriction on how long you could upload, and it was amazing to see. I've been a fan ever since. Wasn't sold on him, was not sold that he could beat Estrada. Did he deserve to beat Estrada? I think it's arguable, 100%. I'm not sure it's this horrendous robbery everyone's talking about, but it was great. This was a two way tentacle. This was just immense. The ebb and flow was something to behold. Doesn't quite make my top three. Not quite dramatic enough. I'm not saying I like swanging and banging, but you know, it was good. Really, really good. Again, top three boxing match for me. Probably the second best boxing match of the year for me. Not enough to make the top three across all combat sports. When it comes to MMA, I did really consider Volkanovski and Ortega. I thought Ortega had a moment right at the end of the fifth. I thought he was really competitive for the first two rounds. Nothing really dramatic, though. Third round was amazing. The fourth round was a sight to behold because I think the fight should have been stopped. As a, as a whole, yeah, one of the best ever made bouts of the year, but not top three fight of the year. One fight which nearly made it for MMA was uh, Jerry Pushaka versus Dominic Reyes. Just some horrific collisions throughout. Two big bodies. Uh, somewhat similar to Volkanovski. And Ortega, in a sense, that it was a pretty dominant win for Pajaka, but there were some moments where Reyes was fighting back, and there's the up kick um, in the second round, and it was violent. It was horrible. It was, a, it was a mess of a fight. And the knockout, that would have been one of my knockouts of the year as well. I should have mentioned it. 
the back elbow. Oh, brutal, gorgeous, wonderful fight. Uh, a kickboxing bout that nearly made the nearly made the top three. Actually, was a, a really good uh, two way technical in Rise. Uh, Kazuki Osaki versus Isaishi. I think this was in the um, in one of the tournaments. I think Osaki had to pull out because he got injured. Really nice um, two way technical, punctuated by some really nice uh, offensive work from Osaki. Dropped Ishi with a with a lovely left hook. Nice fight, just really really good, um, high level stuff. Just just really nice to watch. Endlessly rewatchable, and uh, nearly made it. But there's a top three, and it's going to seem contrived, but I can assure you it, it, it's not contrived. This is real. It just so happens that there's one MMA bout, one boxing bout, and one kickboxing bout. It's not contrived, I promise you. I really did have to pass these three out in terms of what was going to be number one. Um, when I was just going to say what the number one fight of the year was, and I really couldn't. So I've had to do a top three. And, uh, yeah... Turns out that the third best fight of the year was a mixed martial arts belt. I actually said before this fight that I didn't think there'd be a truly great MMA belt in 2021, I was wrong. I think Prochaka Reyes was amazing, and as I said, I think I think Yan and Sanhagen was really good, but Gaethje and Channel was something else. So the first round was amazing. I think I think actually I think one of the criticisms was that the first round was great and it tapered off from there. Um, something I noted after the fight was, um, and I've seen people say, "Oh, Channel just wanted to put on a show." I think he wanted to put on a show once he realised he wasn't going to win in the third round. A lot of uh, throwing his arms around and a lot of, you know, mean mugging. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't effective in the third round as well. He, uh, he sort of threw some brutal body shots. There was a slam that went awry. It was great. The third round was still great. Even if Chandler, I think, was, uh, for the most part, doing an impression of someone that was winning a fight rather than actually trying to win the fight. But he had his moments. Just pure, brutal violence. Gaethje is the violence king. I think after the bout, I said that he's, he's the heir apparent to Robbie Lawler, and I stand by that. There's parts where he was sort of grabbing his knuckles, and I thought, wow, it's Robbie Lawler reborn. He's back. He's still fighting Robbie Lawler, of course, but, um, yeah. Yeah, the same Robbie Lawler he was five years ago. But, um, still, God love him. Justin Gaethje. He's a, a man who fights for my own heart. Never really been sold on Chandler. It's not, you know, I thought he was obviously awesome in the Alvarez fights, and he's had his moments, but I thought Will Brooks clearly has his number, and he's had some other ups and downs since, and very clearly lost to a 145-pounder in Pitbull. And when he came over to the UFC, I really did not get the fanfare. Really did not get it. This is a guy who, yeah, he's Bellator champ, but he isn't now. And Pitbull's just smashed him and inside of a round. And yeah, 
wasn't sold. Um, completely blew away my expectations by wiping out Hooker in the first round. Uh, had the amazing fight with uh, Oliveira, which was in contention for this top five, uh, top three, but you know it was in contention for the top five. Fell apart in the second round, obviously, but that was more to do with Oliveira's brilliance, in my opinion. And then suddenly sucks it up and goes to war with, with probably the most devastating warmonger in, in modern MMA, in Justin Gaethje. So narrative-wise, this fight had it all, as well as action, uh, to see Chandler. And okay, he had to bluff his way through the end of the fight, as I say, a lot of uh, posing and whatnot, but he did his part. This was not like anything like uh, Volkanovski and Ortega. Chandler made a fight out of this. There, there, there was times where uh, Gaethje was intercepting Chandler's attacks, those brutal leg kicks, and there was times where Gaethje had Chandler backed up and then Chandler would come back with a flurry and push Gaethje back on his heels. And, oh, just brilliance. I loved it. It's the best MMA fight of the year for me. What's beating it? Well, I've already kind of showed my hand a bit. It was a boxing match and a kickboxing bout. The boxing match was uh, perhaps one of the greatest heavyweight bouts of all time. Uh, from the champion. There's an anime. Oh, he's got a big right hand. Oh, he's oh. down. He goes down. It was the right hand that did the damage. And Wilder is down for the count in the third round. 30 seconds to go still. And he has now had the first. There he gets a run. Hambo. It's a big one from Wilder. Super left up the went to the body there, and Fury's just hurt him again with an uppercut. It, it could be, it could be all over now. Oh, it will be now. That surely is going to be the end of the fight. Fury's already celebrating, and the fight is all over. It's all over, and Wilder is beaten, and Fury in the eleventh round gets the stoppage he craves. Sensational fight, brilliant ending. Fury has dismantled Deontay Wilder. Did indeed dismantle Deontay Wilder. But what a fucking fight that was. Um, Unbelievable. And it was so unbelievable that I went on heavy hands afterwards to talk about the fight. I don't want to to rehash uh, previous stuff, but I think I I did a pretty good job of describing what made this fight so great. So... With uh, permission from my good friends Conor Rebush and Phil McKenzie, I'm going to post this little snippet from Heavy Hands. And here we go. So when something like Fury Wilder 3 happens, which obviously we're going to get to the fight in a minute, especially considering how unexpected, because, you know, as you said, Phil, I don't know if this is off air or just now. Um, you were basically expecting this fight to be a foregone conclusion, as was I. 
Um, we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. The fact that this fight unfolded as it did, I think that's why it's really captured the public consciousness because it was uh, both unexpected and yet after the fight played out, seemingly in- inevitable. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got these... You assume, oh, well, yeah, Tyson Fury battered him in the last fight, so he's going to batter him in this one. At the same time, you've got two men of roughly between 17 to, to 16 to 20 stones colliding, and it seems ludicrous that anybody saw them at that weigh-in, Fury carrying too much weight, Wilder packing on too much muscle, and didn't see that it was going to be a car crash. Mm-hmm. And what we got was a beautiful car crash, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as, as beautifully filmed as anything in David Cronenberg's film and uh, not quite as sexy, um, but <laughs> equally violent. And I think Fury comes out, as you guys have said, as just some animal, all conquering gypsy king monster that everyone is now endeared with. And Wilder, despite apparent lack of grace after the fight, comes out after years of people assuming he had no chin and uh, was a front runner and, you know, was a bully and could never prove it against the top level, which is why he was so quote unquote protected, comes out, if not at the top of division, proving once and for all that he was worth his salt all these years. So I think it's all these colliding narratives that basically just produce something which is just stunning. Even for me, seeing thousands of fights of, wow, one of the best heavyweight battles I've ever seen. Uh, I actually stand by that um, fight. doesn't get better on rewatch, but it holds up upon uh, repeated viewings. And again, that was from Heavy Hands, episode 390. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably already listened to Heavy Hands, but if you don't, what you're doing with your life, uh, it's one of the best combat sports podcasts going. Um, actually, a little aside, probably my appearances on Heavy Hands this year that kind of made me think you know what I should probably give it another go um, give it give this whole combat sports punditry thing another go and you know start my own thing on my own time scale doing it my own way and um, that's, so probably thanks to Connor and Phil you even listening to this episode um, what the hell could potentially be a fight as great as Fury Wilder free um, which wasn't even really a rubber match because really you need a rubber match you win one a piece a draw and a win doesn't really count and let's be honest that first fight it was not a fucking draw Fury pissed that fight it was dramatic enough that it warranted a second fight but after that second one we never really should have seen a third one and yet we did and thank fuck we did because it was incredible all that context is what makes that fight so great just as it does with Gaethje and Chandler so number one again I'll show my hand it's a kickboxing belt Again, it's all about context. And the best fight of 2021 for me was without a doubt Takeru versus Leona Pérez. Great fights are usually about context, and this fight has plenty of it. 
Takeru, the free weight K1 Grand Prix winner, free weight K1 champion, former Crush champion, versus Leona Pettis, the Crush super featherweight champion. Both these guys have got Kyokushin backgrounds. Leona Pettis struggling for years to finally get the recognition enough to get a shot at the K1 title, losing his mother to cancer. Dedicating his Crush Championship to her. These guys would have fought the same cards from when they were kids. Both uh, Kokushin Karatekas and just violent personified, the pair of them. Takera, obviously, the golden boy of K1. To which some K1 fans say that without him, the, the promotion would fold. He's Basically, the only star they've got left. And yet, the one fight that everyone wanted to see outside of the super fight with, with tension was the fight with Leona Pettis. And it got put off. And it got cancelled due to COVID and due to injuries. I mean, I know. I was editing an article for the fight site by uh, the dog man himself, uh, Don Goodman, which is probably the best... Uh, the best if I was doing an article of the year 2021 I mean I started editing it in 2020 there's so much more extra to add into it of all these cancellations and whatnot. it didn't drop until 2021 if I had to say article of the year article of the last two years it would be that which was called uh, Takaru versus Leona Parallel Lives which you can find over at the fight site my former site that will tell you way more about the context than I can needless to say this fight was a super fight it really was a super fight. And the fight starts off so interestingly. you got Takaru going with these calf kicks. Leone going with the inside leg kick. They're both chipping away at each other's lead leg in different ways. I mean, you're fighting probably the greatest left hooker in the game. You don't want him putting down any weight on that front leg so I could see what Leone was doing it. It then descends into a brawl. And then Takaru sparks Leona out with a left hook. They get into an exchange. The only goes for his left hook. Takeru drops the right hand. Boom. Shifts weight. Brings the left behind it. And sparks Leona out. That's it, right? No, it's not. He summons everything he's got. Drags himself back to his feet. The bow saves him from probably getting sparked out there and then. Somehow, the owner has survived the first round. Getting wiped out by one of the hardest punches pound for pound in all of combat sports. And then the second round happens. Somehow, the only person has managed to get himself together in between being wiped out and then the beginning of round two. Takeru's swarming him, trying to drop him. Throwing over round right. Battering him with calf kicks. We learn his steady. Ramrod jab. Fainting the jab. Everything he can do to keep Takeru at arm's length. But he's not stupid. He's not biding his time. He's building on something. And what he's building on is to invite Takeru in to counter his punches with calf kicks. Because then Leona intercepts one of the calf kicks with her right hand that sends Takeru back on his heels. 
now we've got a firefight again. Two gunslingers going at it in the greatest shootout of the year. But then Takeru starts getting his timing down again. And when you're in a when you're in a firefight, it's all about who's got the the bigger bombs and Takeru's got them. But it's not without controversy. Because he seems to drop Leona and then the referee doesn't get it between him in time. And as Leona stands back up, boom, two three. Right cross or right straight, followed by the left hook. And then Leona really is down. And funnily enough, it's actually a free two that ends it. After another shootout firefight, Takeru moves Leona over over to uh, his own left. Bang, hits him with the right hand and crumples him. And that's it. Unbelievable. All that build-up, all those delays, all those years, all those fights. And it's all over in under six minutes. How could it be any other way? Two guys from karate, then in K1 and Crush, they were bound to have a firefight. There's a great respect from them after the fight as well that adds to it all. And yes, the fight of the year 2021 for Combat Chronicles was... The fight at K-Festa 4, back in March, March 28th, between Takaru and Leona Pérez. Just absolutely perfect. And now I'm going to sound like a weeb. Because I've got... Coyote here features a Japanese fire. And... Fight of the year, got two Japanese fires. As alluded to earlier, I'm glad I stuck around for Ryzen. I'm glad I didn't do my Fighter of the Year before. Which was lucky because Fighter of the Year for me was probably the toughest one to pick. Then I'm going to go through it. Why? There's a multitude of reasons of why I came to this conclusion. And that is the fact that certain fighters didn't fight enough. Usyk only fought once. Fury only fought once. The aforementioned Takaru only fought once. The aforementioned Superbon only fought once. Uh, I thought Canelo Alvarez had a good year, but wasn't, you know, he might have reclaimed the pound for pound number one throne, arguably, for Music, but didn't think he was fighter of the year. Uh, Tension didn't have his uh, sort of four or five fights this year, and also didn't look too great. And then obviously, New Year's Eve wasn't really. But also, I was blown away. I was pretty disgusted by the fight with Gomi, as I've sort of alluded to earlier. It's not his fault, but not befitting fighter of the year either. So it came down to two fighters, really, which was uh, Charles Oliveira and Kamara Usman. Oliveira had two title fights this year and won them both. And I just want to stress as well, this is January 1st to December 31st. That's that's the time frame, just 2021. So we'll be including the Tony Focus fight. And Usman had three. And Oliveira, as I said earlier, no shame in having to come back in tough fights to win. That doesn't discount you for fighter of the year. Usman was more dominant, but then his last fight of the year was not at all sold by his performance against Colby Covington. Seemed to have regressed. It was not as critical as some people were about the Burns fight. And obviously he was amazing in the second Masvidal fight. Two of his fights were about fighters he'd already beaten. And only one of those fights did he surpass the performance that he put on in the first. 
and I'm not one of these big Colby Covington fans. I think he's a decent fighter. I think if you scaled him down, he wouldn't be top three in any other division right now. I think he's a beneficiary of a pretty currently weak 170 crop at UFC, uh, which is in need of a talent injection. It looks like we're getting it with Chimaev and a couple other guys, Brady. So it looked down like it was down to those two. And I wasn't really comfortable picking either of them. I was like, yeah. I mean, all the guys I mentioned had good years. Even Tension said a good year. But I wasn't really blown away. I wasn't like, yes, this is it. This is the fighter of the year. <laughs> then I watched Rising 33. Seiko's Hour. Now that is the Combat Chronicles 2021 fighter of the year. And the reason I actually come to this conclusion is I was going to do separate awards for uh, female fighter of the year and male fighter of the year and I thought no 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 that's not because let's not split the genders you know if you're fighter of the year you're fighter of the year and if there's a great women's fight like there was between uh, say Zhang Weili and Joanna last year then that would have been in the top three fights of the year regardless of gender there's no need to separate them and for me the fighter of the year, Seikazawa. Because fighter of the year is about context as much as anything else. And there can be no doubt that when you take the context into account, that Izawa is the fighter of the year. This is a, a woman who didn't even start training in mixed martial arts until part way through 2020. Now, obviously, she has martial arts background. She's a long-time judo player. I think she even did sumo as well. So for a, for a tiny little woman, she's, she's immensely strong. But she only started fighting Halloween 2020. And this year alone, she beat the uh, Deep Jewels strawweight champion, uh, Miki Watano, in a, in a non-title fight, uh, 116 pounds. Then dropped a pound and beat her for the strawweight title. Then she beat Siwoo Park in what I thought was a really good fight. Uh, at deep impact in uh, October this year. So it's not even a year after her pro debut. She's beaten someone who just this past Rising card. Whether you think that she she beat Rainer or not, she was massively competitive with her. And the fact about her is that she's all already massively experienced, way more experienced than than his hour. So we've got comparison points there when we're trying to see. And that fight, by the way, is a really good one. Izawa, like, she has to come through adversity. She gets inadvertently soccer kicked. She doesn't take the, the, the... She doesn't opt out. She comes back. And in the first round, she's really good. Proactive boxing, defensive awareness, always fainting, really impressed by a stand-up. And how that pertains to getting the fight into her wheelhouse, which is in grappling phases. And then, inexplicably long title fight, which is a which is a common criticism of Ryzen at times, I guess. But she fights Aika Hamazaki in the New Year's Eve show. She's the Ryzen super atom weight champion, so women's classes, 105 atom weight, obviously. 108 uh, super atom weight in, in Ryzen. 115 is short weight, that's where... Where Rose Namunas is the champion, of course. So in this year alone, Izawa's already won the 
deep jewels strawweight championship. It's one of the most storied and and, and long running sort of uh, women's promotions there is. You know, for much talk about how Ronda Rousey and before Gina Carano had sort of uh, spearheaded women's MMA. That was only in the West. Women's MMA has been a thing since the mid nineties in Japan. It goes strong out there, and obviously there's a lot of small women from Southeast Asia and Asia that fight amongst themselves. We see them in one. We see them in Japan as well. In one championship, of course, people may be more aware of, of Angela Lee and whatnot, but in Japan, it's been going on for ages. It's been umpteen, superb, tiny Japanese female fighters. And Ayaka Hamasaki's one of them. The performance I saw at Rising 33 from a 4-0 fighter was absolutely obscene. First and foremost, Hamazaki in top position was not allowed to get her own way. His hours up-kicking her. Brutal. Brutal up-kicks. Love the rule set. And then, the se- and then she gets a... Uh, in the second round, she gets a triangle armbar position and uses it to bludgeon Hamasaki with elbows. 12 to 6 elbows from the from her back transitions to to mounting her with that triangle position and continues to bludgeon her it was absolutely brutal violence so i know you might say like how great's the opposition the fact of the matter is that's essentially the best fighter in that weight class and she just beat her and she won a title in a prestigious organisation at another weight class. When she only started fighting in 2020. She's a prodigy. She's an absolute prodigy. She's in prospect of the year. She's just beat two of the best women around her weight class in a year. Four fights, four wins, one submission, one TKO stoppage. In one year. When she only turned pro in 2020. This is unbelievable. Now I think online people will think that. um, I just hate women's martial arts. This is not the case. I hate shit women's mixed martial arts. And I hate shit women's boxing. Of which there is quite a lot unfortunately. But in 125 and below. Mainly 115 and 105. There's always been really good fights. And really good fighters down there. Maybe it's a. You know recency bias because I'm still so blown away by this performance but wow given the year she's had people better sit up and take note because one of the best fighters in the world right now is over in Japan and she is a a tiny tiny still basically a novice tiny fighter Sieko Ozawa and I know there'll be fighters that get more plaudits because of who they fought trust me she fought good fighters and she smashed them all and what she did on New Year's Eve, for me, that was one of the best performances of the year. Matter of fact, I, I actually omitted it from performance of the year simply because I didn't want to show my hand too early for fighter of the year. I didn't want to gush too early. Um, this might be the only time a woman ever wins fighter of the year for the Combat Chronicles uh, yearly awards. But there's absolutely no way I cannot I can't I can't give this award to anyone else. I'd love to know what you guys think of this. Is it reactionary? Is it dumb? 
well, whatever you think about any of the awards, I suppose, just hit me up on, on Twitter. Combat CHR. The O in combat is a zero. Thank Cody Garbrandt for that. Getting me permanently banned. Just for pulling him up on dog abuse. I mean, come on now. Maybe I should have taken a slightly different tact, but, eh, well. 2022, New Year, New Me, is it fuck? New Year, New Podcast, yeah, sure. And, as I've said more than once on this first episode, if you liked it, and you want to support it, because, you know, the more you support, the more I've got a chance of carrying it on, and the more chance I've got of, of, of bringing really cool things to the episodes... And to, the, and to the patrons, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. But mainly hit me up on Twitter. As I say, it's at Combat CHR, the O is a zero. Tell me what you thought. What do you think of the awards? What do you think of uh, the choices I made, the decisions I made, of the shortlists? I don't think it's anything too controversial. What do you think of uh, Izawa now you've checked her out, if you hadn't already? She's fucking badass, right? I mean, JWMMA's been awesome for years, but they've got a superstar out there now. 2022 is going to be an interesting year because there's a good chance that we'll have a more consistent year in terms of matchups and whatnot as we continue to do our best to overcome this awful pandemic. We hope, anyway, I touch wood, the table that I'm recording on. So the second episode, I'm going to look at what my biggest hopes are for 2022. Not for the podcast, but for combat sports. I'm going to go through a most anticipated fight. Perhaps it's already booked. Definitely ones that I'd love to see. Changes perhaps that I'd like to see in, in, in combat sports in terms of fight approach. Maybe a couple of fantasy things. you know, Things that I'd most like to see happen. Maybe things that would be... It would not be feasible in terms of the setup of the individual sports. But also because it's another down week. After that, we're going to get back onto the UFC schedule. We have some bigger matches. I mean, we had a match last night that I could have talked about, which was the uh, Charles Martin, sorry, King Charles Martin versus Luis Ortiz. Uh, yeah, it was fun, but not really something that I want to lead off the first episode with. It's not something I want to end the first episode with either, so... I'm going to wrap it up here and just say thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Anything you didn't enjoy, whether it's sound quality, any sort of particular stylistic quirks I have, just let me know and we'll work on it because this is the first episode. It's quite difficult talking on your own. And uh, between us, you, faithful listener, and me, Carl McLaughlin, we'll endeavour to make Combat Chronicles podcast better and better as the year goes on. So thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 